0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of If Not Us. If Not Us is a series of candid conversations with people who are creating change around the world on all different topics. And today, I am pleased to be joined by Bami Kutei. Uh, Bami is, you know, I will let you introduce yourself. I mean, she is a fitness instructor, she's a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach and also um, has been in everything from tech to retail to probably many other things that I haven't even to banking, right? Um, so, yeah, she's quite the woman, and we're just so excited to have her here today. I'm joined also by my host, my fellow co-host, Sarah Ackerman. Um, yep. Sarah and I get to work together, and she is the master of the words, all the words, <laughs> um, and she recently wrote a blog about the topic that we're, we're gonna be covering today. Um, and with that, I'll dive in. Dammy, would you want to introduce yourself in a better way than maybe I did given your vast career? <laughs> sure.
1: Hi everyone, welcome. Um, my name is Dami Kate. I am a first-generation British-Nigerian-Canadian. I'm fearless. I'm an entrepreneur, founder of Bam Bam Boogie, twerk after work, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. And what's a fun fact about me? And also, when I was 12, I was in a Harry Potter film. So I've done many, many things in my life, but I'm really happy to be here talking to you today.
0: Okay, we have to know, I mean, at the start, which Harry Potter film?
1: um it was order of the phoenix okay yes! I was an extra
0: yeah i was yes! an extra With, can we see you like if we were to go to a if certain look point, if you something? look really if you look really closely you can see me
1: in like the hall like mm-hmm. just the scurrying past but you have to look really closely
0: <laughs> wow this is great well now i'm even more impressed i mean like we said you've had quite the career going from uh I'm not sure how someone combines dance, um, DEI and banking and tech, um, but would love to just begin by digging into that part of your life. How does somebody, um, yeah, how does somebody have how such a diverse career? How did you get here? <laughs>
1: yeah. I know, I, sometimes I ask myself that question quite frequently actually. I'm always like, how did I end up here? Like currently I am in Mexico and I'm always asking myself how did I end (laughs) up young? So I actually started my career like or working very young. My first job was in retail working for Tommy Hilfiger and from a young age I've always wanted a lot of autonomy and I've wanted to be in control of like my finances and like having that freedom for myself and it's always been that drive of saying yes and trying new experiences that has led me to my next career. So like I started off at Actually, before Tommy Hilfiger, I was a tour guide, like for new homes. So I was a new homes tour guide. Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah. Yeah everything. And then I worked at the bank, I was a financial advisor for two and a half years. And it was my experience working my, up, my way up very quickly in the financial industry that led me to Google, where that was my first job out of the university. And I believe it was just the fact that I had done so many different things and had really ex- excelled in different parts of my career. And although those skills didn't necessarily directly relate to digital advertising, It was the Mm -hmm. fact that I had so many transferable skills like communication and sales, things that you can always use for many different parts of your career. And I still use them today in entrepreneurship. So Mm -hmm. I believe that's how I've been able to pivot so much is just really um, showcasing my strengths and the fact that I have so many transferable skills that I'll be able to use in any career that I decide to pivot into.
0: Yeah, I feel like um, that's really helpful. I feel like we're in a time now where we're making the shift from expectations. You know, I feel like some of our parents and our, and their parents would have expected to have one career, you know, you just get in and you stay in and that's what you do. Whereas now I feel like people like ourselves look forward to doing diverse things in their career, all kinds of things. Um, Do you have any advice for people out there who are, professionals looking to make a change and how to find the next right thing even if there isn't one right thing? Um, I would definitely say
1: go within yourself and like literally take a look at the things that you've done in the past and things that brought you joy and things that other people told you that you were really good at because that's when you're going to find your strengths and you're going to be able to showcase them the most. I feel like you know, with this um, traditional school system that we have, we're always talking about our weaknesses and, you know, what what are your areas of improvement? But when you want to get into a new career or start something new, it's really important that you showcase your strengths, because that's what's going to help catapult you and um, put you apart from other people who are also trying to get into that specific industry. So definitely look at your passions, look at what you're good at, what other people tell you're good at, and really showcase those and hone those during the interview process and also make sure they stand out on your CV or your resume.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, so uh, during
2: all like your career transitions, when, like that's such an insightful thing of like following Following your strengths and following your passions. When did that solidify for you? Like that, that was going to be your trajectory, and like following that as your north star.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I remember at Google, it was like during the first six months, I believe, of the onboarding process, we had to do a. I guess it's like a book or a quiz. It's called Strengths Finders. Have you guys done? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we had to do the Strengths Finders quiz, and I feel like really reading that book and understanding more about my strengths I didn't even realize that it was something I was already doing I was already showcasing those strengths but actually having it written down and knowing that okay these are the type of careers that I can excel in and this is the way that I'm going to become more successful is to continue doing these types of roles and showcasing the fact that I can win over others and I'm really good with communication um that that was when it solidified for me like okay like why would I focus on the things that I'm not good at, like, you know, maths mm-hmm. and like numbers and data and analytics. Why shouldn't I just follow the
0: things that I'm good
1: at and just keep going from there?
0: I think you're in good company. We're both big fans of words, <laughs> not so much the math. <laughs> well, at least I speak for myself, but yeah. Um, I really liked what you said too, about kind of how once you define those things that you, you're you passionate about and also your your skill sets, you really could apply those to in many different circumstances. You know, it's not just like one size fits all. You might have several jobs and make use of those skills in all of them because um, so many things draw on, like you said, being good at communication and um, good with words and good with people. So I appreciate that. Um, I would love to move into talking about um, the issue. This has been a good, great, fun start to the conversation and now we can dive in to this whole idea of imposter syndrome. And just at the top, you know, I think it would be helpful if we could hear from you, what's your definition or how would you help people define what is imposter syndrome?
1: So for me, imposter syndrome is defined by you getting a job or a new relationship, something that you've gotten based on your own merit and your own previous successes. But for some reason, when you're actually in that role or in that relationship, you feel as though you're not worthy of being there. Um, It's a lot of internal dialogue, imposter syndrome. It would be hard for someone else to diagnose you with imposter Mm. syndrome without you really explaining to them how you're feeling. Um, A lot of people, especially women and women of color, minority groups, actually do get imposter syndrome a lot, especially when starting new jobs and new career roles. But a lot of people don't actually realize that they have it until Mm -hmm. they understand what the definition of it actually is.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, kind of a hidden hidden thing. Um, I wonder if you'd be willing to share how you first became aware of imposter syndrome and what that experience was like in real life. Mm -hmm.
1: So I remember when um, I started in, I feel like actually before I even started in the tech industry, I probably suffered from imposter syndrome before, but I didn't actually know what it meant at the time so I had no Mm -hmm. idea what I was going through but specifically I'm starting at Google so my journey to get there was I lived in Toronto and you know I did really well at university studied at the University of Toronto and I got the job at Google I think even like six months or three months before I even graduated from university so of course, I'd worked really hard, Did <laughs> went through five interviews all the way from Canada, different time zones, and then they even flew me over to Dublin and paid for me to relocate. So of course, wow. they really loved what I did at such a young age, and they really loved me for that role. But for some reason, when I arrived and I saw that I was the only Black woman out of a group of 50 nooglers they call them it's like new nooglers like oh. yeah <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and seeing that like as soon as you walk in like you it's, it's just obvious you can see the room is looking mm-hmm. at you I'm looking at them I'm like oh my gosh this is like the mm-hmm. first time I've been in this situation and it was then like it was quite quickly that I realized like oh my gosh like am I here just because of the way I look like did they just need one black person mm. to join this like nuclear group is that why I'm here and it was like me the black woman and then there was a South Asian woman and then there was another Asian woman as well in the group and then I was <laughs> like okay is this like they're just picking very specific and we all had a uh, UK passport so we'd all kind of having UK Uh citizenship so I was thinking like is this Mm -hmm. something and then my mind just starts to spiral out of control and all the thoughts that I had on the plane traveling to Dublin like I've done so well I'm so proud of myself like everyone's going to be so proud of me as well they just all washed away because I was like I didn't I thought to myself I didn't actually get this because of how hard I worked I just got it because of the way I looked which of course was not true but that story once that story starts in your mind it goes over and over and over and it truly affects the way that you see yourself, not just at work, but then your other experiences previously. And then the way that you communicate with people, I became, I went from being very bold, outgoing, Mm -hmm. and very chatty and smiley to very withdrawn, really quiet. Like if you asked my teammates, they would say that when I first joined, they were like, oh yeah, Bami, she didn't say much, very quiet, not really out of her shell. Mm -hmm. Like I would just whisper, on the phone, like to clients under the table. Um, I was good at what I did, but I was just not confident in myself. And that was really, really obvious because of the imposter syndrome.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, how did you even begin to realize that's what it was? You know, I, I feel like it sounds like you were going through all of these, um, you know, performing at your job well, but also experiencing such hard things internally And to your point, it's something that you don't even realize it's a thing. How did that kind of knowledge break over? What was the breakthrough that led you to be like, oh, this is what this is. And this is not something that's unique to me. I'm not having like a personal, um, an individual thing that no one else, like, this is a a real thing that I'm experiencing.
1: I think the thing about imposter syndrome is like once you tell yourself a narrative and a story about yourself over and over again you truly start to believe it and internalize it so although I wasn't an imposter at first I then started to become an imposter because Mm -hmm. I was not myself I was not showing Mm -hmm. up to work as my fullest self I was not adding my own personal culture to the organization because I was trying to be someone else being that kind of imposter and just trying to blend in um, so when I actually found out about imposter syndrome, it was way after I'd already overcome it. It was hmm. the point where I had started Bam Bam Boogie. I had started working out, feeling more confident about myself, starting to realize, hey, I'm popular. I'm friendly. I'm helping, <laughs> other people, I'm helping other people get jobs. I'm outgoing. like So I am truly being an imposter because of this syndrome that I'm going through. That's when I realized like, hey, that was that was not me so it wasn't until like six months after and i came and i grew into myself and i realized hey i'm here because i earned it and i definitely deserve to be here even to the point where i was like they need me more than i need them <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: yes but, yeah uh, what steps did you take to start to like did you consciously take steps to be like this is not who i am and work in like incremental i'm going to be louder i'm gonna whatever the the step was or was it just kind of a natural transition of without thinking you came out of your shell and became back to who you were originally, like why they hired you.
1: Um, it was definitely intentional because I knew that something was wrong. Like I think it was six months in. Cause that's when I started Bam Bam Boogie. It was six months in or like maybe five to six months in, I realized this is not who I am. And it's starting to really affect me. It's starting to it even started to affect the way that I viewed myself. Like when I looked in the mirror, I would just be like, Who is this person that is even looking back at me so much that I was like, no, I need to be the change that I want to see. I don't want the next black woman or person of color to come into this organization and feel the same way and have the same cycle all over again. So it's like I need to change in order to break the curses that would go forward, because, of course, there are other people who are going to come and feel the exact same way. So Mm -hmm. that's when i decided to start going to the gym start working out and start bam bam boogie as a way that made not only more the fitness industry and the fitness space like gyms more inclusive and diverse but also the organization as a whole because i saw it as if i had bam bam boogie to come to when i started at google i would have felt like much more comfortable networking maybe talking to Mm -hmm. other people who looked like me and could also in a very safe space, discuss how they felt and how they overcame their imposter syndrome. And instead of waiting six months to overcome it, I'm
0: sure I would have overcome it much faster. Mm-hmm. And you actually brought us, brought in Bam Bam Boogie, which I love. I'd love to hear, you know, I think that story ties so well into your journey of freedom and personal liberation. Um, will you tell us how that kind of began and and that initial Yeah. What were the seeds of Bam Bam Boogie?
1: Yes. So Bam Bam Boogie started as a 20% diversity and inclusion project at Google. So for those of you who don't know, when you work for certain tech companies, they'll give you like 20% of your time where you can use it to do something that you are passionate about that also fits in with the company's OKRs and the objectives that they have so I decided to put mine into diversity equity and inclusion because it's something that I'm really passionate about and I thought what better way to do it than through dance and fitness something that I'm so good at but is really not valued enough in society like Mm -hmm. dancing and fitness in general is so good just movement in general not necessarily fitness is so good for your mental health not just your physical health because it's scientifically proven to release endorphins and help cure Mm. things like depression and anxiety because of the hormones that it stimulates in your body. So I thought, what better way than to help people feel included and to help them network across organizations, whilst also understanding a bit more about different cultures and celebrating them than to bring in some dance and some fitness. So that's how Bam Bam Boogie was born and became the fastest growing Googler-led, um, program like fitness dance fitness diversity inclusion program in google so yeah yeah, that's how it started
0: (laughs) what a great story i mean it makes me want to sign up for bam bam boogie and i think one of the things i'd like to hear you talk about as well is when we spoke earlier you you've talked about um how oftentimes people of color are the people who uh I I think you, I remember reading this on your website, but are often not going to the gym um, or fitting in or finding community in those kind of fitness mm-hmm. areas. So love to hear your thoughts about that. And then also how um how is this part of coming at, where where did this fit in your journey of sort of self-realization and realizing that um you were suffering from imposter syndrome?
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, when we look at the fitness industry or just sports in general, there are actually a lot of cultural and financial barriers to entry. So say for example, swimming or lacrosse or hockey, These types of sports are quite expensive and you have to be able to have access to a swimming pool, have parents who can pick you up after school and drop you off, things like that. And these are things that we don't think about of barriers to entry to when you grow up and then you wanna go to the gym. So if you're not already conditioned, in your family and in your culture to do sports and it's not celebrated, then it's gonna be hard for you to wanna go to the gym and feel motivated to even go into the fitness industry when you're older. So I noticed that, in the gym, in the gym space, in the fitness industry, that it's not as diverse as it truly should be. We see, especially black people, people of color, really boxed into certain sports, like, oh, American football or basketball, but there's actually a huge array of other sports that they aren't fully included Mm -hmm. in, and, you know, push forward into. So when I wanted to start my journey, I let people know that, hey, listen, I was not a track and field girl. I was not doing sports. All I did when I was younger was literally dancing and acting. So I am not a sports person, but I'm still able to be in the fitness industry and start in the fitness industry at 22, 23 Mm -hmm. years old. So if I can do it, this is for you too. This is accessible. You don't need to really invest much to dance. It's all Mm -hmm. you need is literally your body.
0: Yeah, yourself. Um, Another interesting thing you had shared with me, I think, was around dance as an equalizer, you know, mm-hmm. for Googlers at the time, it's like when you're all dancing and moving, you're not as aware of like hierarchy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a really neat aspect of, of, of that as well. And I wonder, um, you, you kind of touched on this, but just still on the individual level, you mentioned that it's not really... It, it's hard to recognize imposter syndrome in others. Um, is that something you would say, like, are there things we should be watching for in our colleagues? Um, is there is there a way that we can be supportive? I, mm-hmm. Yeah, would love to hear your Yeah, Yeah, most, most
1: definitely, especially for more minority groups that are entering your organization, Yes, diversity is incredible and it's great when you have a diverse team, but inclusion is so much more important because you'll start to see that, you know, if your team isn't inclusive, you'll start to see these minority groups start to drop off or there might be complaints with HR because of the lack of inclusivity in the team. So recognizing imposter syndrome or if something's not right with one of your colleagues is the first way to be inclusive. So especially if you're a hiring manager or a recruiter, it's important that you don't just you know get that person into organization and just say all right I picked my targets it's you know it's go time let's move on to the next one it's important to like you know track their progress at least have a plan in place for six months to do maybe monthly check-ins bi-weekly check-ins to see how exactly they're doing and to recognize is this the same person that we Are they behaving the same way that they behaved when during the interview process? Um, Yeah, so I think that's really important is just to recognize these things and recognize certain behaviors and have those check-ins. Also to recognize imposter syndrome or to support it is to ensure that there are employee resource groups Mm -hmm. to (laughs) ensure that people feel as though they have safe spaces where they can speak up as to whether they're feeling imposter syndrome or they understand about it. Um, and last not but not least is definitely trainings. I wouldn't have known about imposter syndrome unless um, it was communicated to me. So I think I heard it in one of the talks that we had or through, mm-hmm. an, through another employee. So I think it's important to
0: also have those trainings so people understand what it even is. Yeah, I think that brings me to kind of my next question which is about, um, yeah, you know, we're hearing a lot about diversity, equity and inclusion, DEI in the workplace. Uh, we have, you know, I think last, the events just all around the world, but of last year and then this, this year have really put us in a context where people are, are having a real, another reckoning with, um, with this issue, and one of the biggest places, you know, where we spend most of our time, a lot of us, is at work. And so I wondered if you could help us from putting on your, your hat as a DEI consultant, if you could help us understand sort of what is the role of the workplace? You mentioned creating groups and whatnot, but we'd love to hear you expand on what you think the role of in that relationship between the workplace and um the employees and then personal life, like how does that all tie together? Um, yeah, would love to hear what you have to say about that. So,
1: do you mean in how to support your employees, like in terms of what's going on in the world, their personal life, and then also within the organization itself?
0: Yeah, and I think I I just love to hear your thoughts on how how do all those things fit together? You know, there's so much work that happens at the individual level. Mm. Um, for all of us as just, you know, everyday people going around in the world. And then there's ourselves at work and there, that's always a hard barrier to figure out. I know in a lot of places, but then even more so so when you're adding in this DEI work that has to happen at the organizational level and the, for each person individually. Mm -hmm.
1: I think regardless of the size of your team um, or your organization, transparency is key. That's really mm-hmm. the first thing that you can do is be very transparent from the beginning. It's transparency in your, marketing materials, in your recruitment process, in your escalation process, if anything goes wrong, in your compensation plan, the more transparent you can be, even on your morals and your mission and your belief, the clearer it's gonna be for the employees to know how they can be supported if anything happens, or if something's going on in their personal life or politically with any type of movements that are going on, how they're actually able to speak about it in the workplace. Because the more transparent you are on which organizations that you support and which um, communities that you feel like you want to speak up for at a certain time, Mm -hmm. the easier and the safer of a space it's going to create within the organization, regardless if you have two or 2000 employees, because they just know that, okay, this is what my organization publicly stands for and publicly continuously declares on their LinkedIn and their website and their mm-hmm. social media profiles that, you know, either it's the BLM movement or it's, you know, LGBTQIA plus movement that they're supporting, then if they're saying it, then I feel comfortable to speak up to and have these conversations in the workplace because I always know that my employer will have my back.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sarah, you recently wrote a blog, I think I mentioned at the top of the episode about this. Um,
2: a depressing thing to write. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was based on uh, last June when all of the corporations came forward and posted uh, the blackout square yep. Yep. and made overtures of this is how we're going to change. Uh, when that data was first pulled, I think it was about six months later, um, some very nice person on the internet went through and like fact-checked between like, what did you say you were gonna do and publicly, what have you done? And about 75% of the organizations haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it just goes to show that like you can, uh, if you're speaking about it, like that's great. And if employees feel appreciated and included, that's exactly what we want. But actually following through on a lot of those mm-hmm. things, um, that's, that's different. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of folks, uh, a lot of those major corporations, at least, aren't making that sort of information public. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know your opinion on like, do you is do you need to show the work and show like, hey, we said we were going to do this, and this is how we've executed on it, because that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Or is there something to be said for kind of just being quiet, doing the work, and letting letting your like DEI initiative show in other ways? Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a really good question. I like that question because it's very twofolded there. But that um, what you mentioned about saying what you're going to do versus actually doing it, that is called performative activism. And ever since the events last June and even before that, from 2016, kind of the first wave of when these things started to pick up. There's been a lot of performative activism with organizations, with influencers, with individuals. And because of social media being so easy for you to be able to share and disseminate information, it's become even more prevalent that people are just saying things but not actually doing it. So it's really important now more than ever that organizations such as media calls like yourselves are showing the work that you're doing like I said whether it's through LinkedIn posts or on your website these initiatives need to be front and center like there's no point in doing something and being quiet about it because I promise you if you want an award for best tech agency best media agency you would be telling the world about it it would be at the end of your email signatures it would be (laughs) on your pitches to clients so why are you not
0: doing the same with your DEI work Mm -hmm. Amen. Um, I mean, I feel like we just went to church with that moment. <laughs> great. Uh, I, I wonder, too, around that, around Sarah's question, is there a way to hold employers accountable to the goals that they've set? I mean, I can imagine if you're in a workplace, say you are at one of these corporate businesses, you know, um, it can be kind of scary to be the one who's whistleblowing for one thing. I mean, but is there a way that we as the public can also be holding people accountable? Mm-hmm. Um, Most
1: definitely. I believe there was a letter around June last year where hundreds of organizations signed creative equals saying that they were gonna make you know, these changes. And I personally reached out to, I'd say about 60% of those businesses on LinkedIn and just said, hi, hello, you said you were gonna do this, have you done anything? If not, this is the services that we offer, like it's time to put your money where your mouth is and start putting in some action into these things that you wanna declare because it's nice for you to declare it, but if you're not actually doing the work, then it's important for you to let us know too. So I think the accountability needs to be with the organization themselves, but also with the public as well. For example, any organization that puts out a letter and says, these are the organization who signs it, just like you said, Sarah, six months later, they need to put another letter out saying, hey, these are the people that haven't done what they said they were going to do. Because when you publicly declare it, that's when it becomes real and people start to kind of rally up to it. And the same thing goes within the organization. It doesn't matter um, where you are in your organization, whether you're senior level or lower level, it's really important that you speak up and that you um, either write an email or submit something anonymously and just, you know, let people know that this needs to be done and there needs to be some actionable
0: change. Powerful words. Um, And like you said, I feel like Yeah. Public declaration. If you want an award, why would not you say it? So you should say what you're doing, but then also once you've said it, you put it out on the table and it's fair game Mm -hmm. for the world to, to ask you what you've actually achieved or, or done. Um, I, there are so many other things that I'd like to ask you about, but I wondered if at the bottom of this episode, you have any messages you'd like to share for people who might be experiencing imposter syndrome right now? Mm -hmm.
1: It's hard because it's such an individual thing and imposter syndrome, it shows up differently in every single person. But if I could personally speak to my 22 year old self who was Mm -hmm. going through imposter syndrome at Google, I would just say, remember why you're here and remember your why of why you came here and you know why why you're going through this journey today because that's exactly what's going to keep you going because imposter syndrome isn't just something that's cured and then you move on I still have imposter syndrome sometimes, you know, when I either work with new clients or, you know, I win a really big pitch and I'm going into that office, like I get imposter syndrome again. So it's really important to go back to that why of why you're truly there. And my why is always to just make my ancestors proud and, you know, mm. to make them show that, you know, what well, all your hard work back in the day was not in vain. So remember your why, and that's what's going to keep building you up when these feelings arise again.
0: That's beautiful. I'll have to keep my why. I'm gonna write it down and put it on my desk.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, are there is there any message for businesses who want to make positive progress in their DEI work? And also, I mean, shameless, but this might be where a good time to tell us where we could find uh, your information.
1: Yes. So definitely invest in the DEI work that you have committed to, like whether it's investing in a workshop or a talk, a training or about unconscious bias. It's so important to put your money where your mouth is, because this isn't something that is just going to go away. Mm -hmm. it's only getting bigger and bigger as our generation z our TikTokers, start coming into the workforce these are the things that they're looking at they're looking at organizations that are focused on social justice and a focus on change in the dei space so if you find yourself falling behind it's only going to impact your bottom line going into the future so if you would like to invest and start to even have that conversation about where you can get started with your dei efforts definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn at Bami or email alicia at Bami to
0: find out how we can have a, a credible solution for your organization. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, and just to, to reinforce that we met because you hosted a DEI uh, workshop on unconscious bias, and I believe you'll be hosting another one for us um, coming up about imposter syndrome. So yeah, we we just really benefited a lot from it, and I think to your point, you know, as these things come up, they highlight they highlight the problems for us, but they're not going away, and it can be really overwhelming. I think as as an organization, as a business, to figure out, oh shoot, you know, what are we supposed to do? But I think having um, expertise like yourself to guide people through that that process of even Figuring out where to start is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been so wonderful, Bami. it's Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed our conversation, and can't wait to have you back with us. Um, if there's any resources you'd recommend, I'd love. I'd love it if you if you wanted to share um, resources or books or readings or anything else that you found helpful.
1: Um, I'd say the best resource would be how to talk, what's the name of the book? How to talk, oh no, this is the one I want to recommend. (laughs) Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Mm. Google that book, read that book, understand the history and then yeah, you're going to get a lot of resources from there about how you can move forward. So why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Google that book, get that book, it's on Audible and start your journey from there
0: well, great. This has been an excellent conversation. We'll put all the resources below the episode or on the webpage, on the blogs, all the things, all the links. Um, This has been Bami Kutei and Sarah Ackerman and myself. And yeah, great conversation. Thank you.